prior to the creation. There was just God in eternity. There was nothing else. I can't explain it. I can't try and make you have a picture of what it looked like because I don't know. But all I'll say is, there was a time in the past when this creation, this order of things, didn't exist. There was God. And uh, he was content. His name is Jehovah, the self-existent one. He didn't need you. He didn't need me. You must understand it. It's not like God was lonely for eons and eons, thinking, oh boy, I really need someone to play golf with today. It wasn't like that. God was content. He needed nothing. Do you understand that? And at some point, God decided to create. We were discussing this at the breakfast table today. Uh, You know, God knew what was going to come down the pipe, but he still decided at some point, I want to create. And so, the story goes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, he created time. And he introduced the stars, the sun, uh, the earth, animals, plants, all forms of life. And you know, it's an extraordinary thing to consider that he did it out of nothing. Out of the invisible things, God created everything that's visible. That means that he's all-powerful. Now, there are many people who believe in evolution, which suggests that everything we see came out of nothing. How preposterous is that? That everything came out of nothing. Not the microphone falling down. How ridiculous. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people who think that it makes more sense to believe that everything came out of nothing for no reason, billions of years ago, just because. That requires a tremendous amount of faith. More faith than for someone who just says, I believe there was God and God created. So, in his power and in his wisdom, he created a perfect world. An amazingly beautiful, graceful place. Uh, The book of Genesis suggests that it was good. In fact, it was very good when man gets introduced into the creation. And man is given a very simple mandate. He is to tend a garden, and he's forbidden from eating from one tree. If you know the story, Adam and Eve sin and introduce sin into the world. They disobey God. They go their own way. Now, this great God, straight away, as soon as the fall comes into being, as soon as they mess up, reveals to mankind his plan of redemption for us. He gives a curse to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Straight away, after the fall, God is showing his plan of redemption for fallen man. Don't forget, just a few days, years, I don't know how long it was before the fall, God had created man, and and as he'd fashioned him out of the soil of the earth, and as he'd blown into his nostrils the breath of life, God must have considered what he was doing. Are you with me? He knew, down the pipe, there's a fall that's going to come. But in spite of that, God still went ahead with it. I propose it's because God is a relational God. Remember that God who was fine on his own? He'd actually rather share that love with human beings. And so he created. Fully aware of man's propensity toward sin and turning his back on him. He gave us free choice as well. It's an extraordinary thing. This God who could have made us automatons, robots, to listen to him so that we would never have the ability to sin, never have the ability of choosing the wrong path, he gave us free choice. So we can actually say, God, no thanks. 
I don't want you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't care about your will. I don't care about you involved in my life. I don't care about your commandments. I don't care about how I affect you by the way I live my life. He gave us that freedom. It's an extraordinary thing. And mankind sins. The rest is history. And then Jesus comes onto the, uh, the scene many years later and reveals something about God that many people had missed for generations. Maybe thousands of years, for millennia. They had thought that God had created the world and then taken a back seat, gone to heaven because he was separated from us by our sin and then just forgotten about us. So, so get on with it, people. Let it happen. Mm, Jesus gives us a very different picture. Jesus is uh, walking around and uh, there's a certain man who's got an infirmity. He's had an infirmity for 30 years. And uh, if you know the story, it's in chapter 5 of the book of John. Jesus goes and he heals this man. He says to the man in chapter 8, Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now there's a group of people called the Pharisees. In the Bible, uh, they were very, and teachers, they were very, very opposed to the move of God. They had lost touch with what God was really like. So Jesus is here on earth, revealing to us what God the Father is really like. And he goes on to find the man afterwards. Uh, the man goes and he's obviously healed. He speaks to the Jews and the Jews come to Jesus and they're hassling him. The Jews sought to persecute Jesus, chapter, uh, verse 16 of chapter 5. And sought to slay him. Can you believe it? The man has just performed an extraordinary miracle. A man who cannot walk is walking and they want to kill him. And then he says, in uh, verse 17, uh, it was ostensibly because he performed this miracle on the Sabbath. I mean, these guys were crazy. Instead of rejoicing that a man's walking, they wanted to kill the guy who did it. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Verse 17. NIV might say something like this. To this day, my father is still at work. To this day, my father is still working. I don't know what other versions of the Bible you have out there, but they'll say something to that effect, that God, to that day when Jesus was on the earth, when he made the statement, God was working. Throughout the Old Testament, we see a glimpse of how he works. And the biggest, or the best story I can think of, is one of the most extraordinary men in the Bible, a guy called Moses. We all know Moses. He was a strange man because he did extraordinary things for God and then he also messed up. I'm going to look at another man called David who, in a very similar way, did extraordinary things for God and then he also messed up. Now, the first thing about Moses' life that's very interesting is we know that he was born uh, an Israelite and then he obviously was put on a uh, in a basket of reeds or whatever, and then it, you know, he was found within, uh, on the river, and then he was taken, and he was, he was raised, if you will, as royalty. And then he knows that he's uh, effectively been adopted. He knows his true blood is, is, is Israelite blood, and he sees a slave driver hassling one of his, if you will, brothers in the faith. And so he goes off, and he kills the man. Remember that? And then he has to flee. For 40 years, off he goes. He's hiding, he moves off to a different land, and he's with Jethro, and uh, while he's there, he becomes humbled. And then, God comes and visits him. So there we already have established the principle. Moses wants to do it in his own power. Can you see that? Moses wants to do something for God, for the Israelite people who are being oppressed, but he wants to do it in his own strength. 
And off he goes, kills a man, he's got to flee, he's a fugitive for 40 years. And then God says, right, I think you're ready now, Moses. Because Moses is now a shepherd, he's broken, he's humble. God thinks, I can use you now. Do you know that God waits for you to humble yourself before he thinks, right, I can, I can approach this person now. If you're still full of yourself, still dying to go out there and just do everything in your own strength, God might just hesitate in inviting you. I'm not saying he will, because I think he likes people who are zealous. But if your zeal is out of selfish pride, you may just need to listen up very closely. So God comes to Moses later on, and he says this, I, the Lord, have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. This is chapter 3, verse 7. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Do you know that God knows sorrows of human beings? Do you know that God watches over humanity? Do you know that He cares about what people go through? It's not like God's in heaven just twiddling His thumbs, you know, letting things... He's actually active in our world, watching, seeing, responding to prayers. Taking the initiative a lot of the time. So this is what we see. God's actually coming and giving Moses a vision of what he wants to do. Saying, Moses, you tried 40 years ago, but no, no, no. That was your man size plan. Let me show you what I, God, the Lord, wants to do on the earth. I've chosen a people for myself. Verse 8. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of the land into a good land and a large land flowing with milk and honey. And then, of course, he tells Moses what to do. He says, I want you to go down to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And uh, Moses initially is like, whoa, God, you know, burning, burning bush, that's already freaked me out now. You're telling me to go down to Egypt, to Pharaoh? He started to have a reaction. See, because God was giving him something that was too big for him. Too big. And you've got a choice right there and then. God shows who He is. He reveals His plan. He shows you what He wants to do. He shows where you fit in. And it leads to what's called a crisis of faith. Crisis of belief. You start to think, can I do it? Is it really God? No, no, it can't be God. It's too big. We can't afford it. We, you know, we don't have enough people. Uh, this is just too expensive. Oof. Excuses. Let's jump ahead to chapter uh, 4. Moses uh, is made, he's starting to make excuses. Uh, chapter 10. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither herefore, or never have been, nor since hast thou spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. By the way, in case you didn't notice, I'm reading from the King James Version, okay? So, <clears throat> and that's the Bible I, I just I read all the time. There's nothing sinister about it. I, I'm not one of those people who own, say only King James, but, you know, it's just the Bible I use. Moses is coming up with excuses. If there's anything God doesn't appreciate, it's your flimsy excuse as to why you can't join him and what he's about to do. God just explained to him, by the way, that he's going to empower him. You know, you know the, the little tricks of the trade that God gave him? He's got a rod, and if he drops it, it turns into a snake. He's got a, he puts his hand in... In his coat, it comes out leprous. He puts it back. It's clean. God's given him all the stuff he needs. He says, I'm going to provide for you all the stuff that will blow the Egyptians away. But Moses, no. Nah. God, no, no. I've, I've never been eloquent. I can't stand up in front of a crowd. I don't even know how to share the gospel. I mean, I, the man here might laugh at me. I've never been really good at just uh, opening my home to people. I, what if they just mock me? What if they reject? All the excuses started to come out. 
And Moses didn't get the picture. You know, I mean, if I was speaking to Almighty God, and he was, he was telling me what his plan for the world was, and I was starting to make excuses, you know, straight away, once God said, shut up, Henry, I would, I would do that. But Moses, nah, nah. Well, he, he's too dumb for that, right? So Moses makes another excuse. Are you ready? God says to him, now, therefore, go and I will be with you and teach you what to say. God's even said, okay, I get it, Moses. You say you're not eloquent, but I will tell you what to say. And the anger of the Lord got kindled against Moses. You know why? Because he made another excuse. And in the end, uh, Moses had to have Aaron, his brother, speak for him as an interpreter or, you know, as a go-between. Moses would speak, Aaron would speak, and so on. I mean, I've had to do that in India when I've been on tour. Man, having an interpreter speak just, it just doesn't, you lose a lot of context, you lose a lot of the, stuff goes missing in translation, you know. The one time I was, I've heard of a story of Joyce Meyer, I think she was telling a story, uh, a really long joke, uh, while she was in a foreign country, and she, it was really complicated, and the interpreter was like struggling to keep up. And in the end, he, it was like a three-minute joke. In the end, he just said, I, d- I have no idea what the lady's on about, but when I say laugh, just laugh. <laughs> right? And they all laughed. They found it funny. It was great. But it highlights the point. Moses didn't have to do that. But he kept making excuses. I hope we don't act like Moses. Instead, I hope we can embrace what God is announcing to us, uh, that he's, what he wants to do in the world. And so, fast forward to a man called David. Uh, I'm not going to turn there ever so briefly, but I just want you to look at the story of David's life. It was an intriguing story. We know that he was a shepherd. We know that he was doing what his father told him to do. Remember how we spoke about kids honoring their parents listening? You know, dad said, take some, some, some milk, I think it was, and cheese to your brothers. And then he goes and he's intrigued by this battle that's going on. There's this Philistine who keeps mocking the Israelites. Mocking him, like Richard Dawkins, you know. He's, he's always on TV. Come on, fight us. You can't take on us intimidating, he's big, he's huge, I mean, he's like uh, 13 feet or something, he's ridiculous, he's a monster, I mean, this guy, is a, he's a real giant, and he, he's just, a, he's a sight to behold, intimidating just to look at, never mind the intimidating words he's speaking, As a young man, David, he, he's, some historians guess he's about 15, he goes to the battle, and uh, he's just minding his own business, trying to deliver the stuff, the food that he's supposed to deliver, and uh, as you know, he cures the Philistine, and all of a sudden, it's like, who is this Philistine? What's going on here, guys? Who is this guy? And uh, they say, oh, he's, you know, he's a big giant. And he says, hey, you know, if, if, we, if we fight you and we win, you serve us and, and vice versa. And, and no one can take him on. And every time he came up, the Israelites would go and cower under their caves. And, you know, he was on the other side of the valley. And they were just intimidated and frightened. And there's David who says, who is this? What will be done, he says, for the man who slays this giant? And then the guys tell him, they say, uh, you know, the king's going to, uh, you know, wipe out your taxes. He's going to give you a piece of land. And you're going to have the king's daughter in reward as well for uh, killing the giant. David says, pardon? Say that again? <laughs> What's the reward? No taxes. Land. King's daughter. This guy, his ears have pricked up now. And then he says, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a cause? That, to me, is one of the most gladiator-like speeches I've ever heard. You know what I'm saying? David's starting to say, man, there's a God on earth. Who is this Philistine that would dare to divide the armies of the living God? He gets fired up, and he knows. Hey, listen, I've been on the battlefield. I've been killing bears and lions. I'm going to take on this guy. I can do it. 
Because my God is with me. He goes up to the Philistine, and you know the story. He runs up to him, he says, You know, you come against me with javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And the guy is fired up, and he's ready to take on the guy. He takes five stones from the brook, and one stone hit Goliath right where he counted, on the temple. Goliath goes down, he's unconscious, takes his sword, David does, cuts his head off. Victory for Israel. David's a legend. Not only in God's eyes, but in the eyes of the Israelites. Who would you rather be? Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Moses did some amazing things for God. And uh, God called him the most humble man on earth. God calls David also a man after his own heart. I would suppose and suggest that you and I want to respond like David. We want to get a, a, a glimpse, a grasp, if you will, of God's heart for the world. He wants us to win battles. He doesn't want us to be on the back foot. He doesn't want us to be defeated. He wants us to be on the cutting edge of what he's doing in the world. So what is God doing in the world today? Those are thousands of years ago, Henry. What about now? Well, let me just suggest to you that God has limited himself to a couple of things. You know that? When Jesus went to heaven... He ascended and, and, and went, and he's coming back in the future. But when he went, he gave us a great commission, which was for us, human beings, vessels, earthen as we are, weak with all our frailties, with all our excuses, to go into all the world and preach the good news. That was the final, if you will, uh, instruction given to the church that carries the most weight. So if, if ever you needed a mandate, a mission statement, if you will, there it is. I'm not suggesting it's the last thing God said. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is the most important thing that he's left us with is that we are to go into the old, all the world and proclaim the good news. It's great news. It's fantastic news. And every single one of us, his disciples, if you will, are to do that. We are to go into the world and spread God's message that he loves people. Why has he limited himself to working through people? I haven't a clue. But he has. He worked through Moses. He worked through David. Uh, He's worked through many of the prophets in the Old Testament. And he even worked through Jesus. Do you know that Jesus didn't come on earth working as God? He was God, but he limited himself to being a human being who was anointed by God. Do you know that? Do you remember that? He didn't do any miracles until he gets uh, tempted in the desert. Then he gets baptized by John. Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's anointed just like you and me. See, you and me are no different in one sense to Jesus in his ministry. Of course, he was God and there was a special anointing upon his life. He walked in all the giftings, all the fivefold ministry. Yes, I I will grant you that. But, essentially, he walked as a man, anointed of God. He didn't walk as God. He limited himself. So that what he did, we could do. He says, greater things than these shall you do. Why? Because he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within believers. So that he could then send us out and do his work. So we are effectively conduits, vessels, if you can call us that. So that we just arrive in a situation and God can use us wherever he places us. Your workplace, at home, school. Yeah, some people are called to evangelism and they're on the cutting edge, on the front line. And they're handing tracts out, and they are speaking from megaphones, or they're standing on platforms, and they are, you know, speaking out to people to repent, just like John the Baptist did. But not everyone is called to do that. However, we're still to share the good news, wherever we go. God has chosen the vehicle by which he blesses the world to be the church, the body of Christ, you and me, if you are a believer. Share God's love with the world, 
That's the mandate. That's what God's doing. If you're not involved, hmm, I want to chastise you today. I want to say God wants you being a part of his team. He doesn't want you being like those frightened Israelites who cowered away every time Goliath came and, you know, roared. Roar. Yeah, he wants you to be like David. I think God loves David. You know that? I'm not suggesting he doesn't love other people. But he, he likes people with a lion heart who are willing to go out and be desperate to please God. Desperate to be used of him. But fitting into his plan. Not coming up with our own plans. I mean, you can have a million and one plans here. But let me tr- trust me when I say there is a cohesive vision that God's given for everybody. Which is to further his kingdom. And every church must have it on their mission statement. It's sad, isn't it, that there are some churches called evangelical churches now. And they believe that it's a good thing to go out and tell other people about Jesus. There are other churches that believe, oh, no, 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 there are only some people who are called, and, you know, God will bring them here. I don't believe that that's what church is all about. I believe God has equipped us to be His ambassadors, to be His representatives on this earth, to go out and represent Him. So how ought we to live? Well, we ought to be holy. And that's why sometimes God puts us in bodies like this, uh, churches, local churches, to, to, to get us in shape, to disciple us, to cut stuff out of our lives that is displeasing to God. Uh, sometimes he puts us in bodies like us to equip us, to give us all the things we need. So maybe you're like Moses and you're saying, but you know, I've never been you know, good at doing this. Well, they, God has equipped the body to equip you. So they, he's given pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets and apostles to do that, to equip the local church to be able to go out. To fulfill the ministry. The cohesive vision of reaching the lost world. What if you don't care about the lost world? Because there's some people like that, aren't there? I mean, there are people who genuinely don't really uh, feel compassion for lost people who are going to hell for eternity. Uh, Well, again, I would say, I want to chastise you. I want to challenge you, rather. I want to say God can give you his heart. He wants you to feel what he feels for the hurting world. And maybe you don't understand God, and maybe you don't grasp A lot of answers to questions that you've wrestled with for your whole life. Well, that's okay. But I would suggest to you that you have an attitude that comes seeking God and saying, God, give me understanding. Give me understanding. I don't think it is right to be apathetic. I do not think it is right to be lukewarm. And, you know, I don't care. As long as I'm going to heaven, I'm fine. I don't think that's God's heart at all. So, let me just recap very quickly. God's created us. He is the creator God. We aren't the product of some big explosion billions of years ago. You don't need to look far. Just look at the world. It's amazing. It's a great place. It has life. It's the only place that has life in the universe. And it's just extraordinary. And everything's just too right to have happened on its own. Right? God's at work. He's he's created us. He uh, has remained at work in our world. He hasn't abandoned us. He sustains everything. He makes sure the laws stay in place. You know, I mean, all we need is for the law of gravity to go wonky and all of a sudden we, you know, we'd be hurtling through space going into another galaxy or something. But God is sustaining everything through his power so that everything keeps working as it should. So he's, he's involved on that level, but he's also involved on a local level, working through individuals, working through people's lives, and saving here and touching there and healing here. God is still at work in a way that is more profound than you can ever imagine. In every person's life. I believe that every single person who ever lives to a certain age, let's say, uh, the age of, I'm just, this is an arbitrary number, but the age of about 17, 18, 19, to the age of understanding, I believe that every single person, God will have reached out to them. Do you know that? I don't think there's anyone who's going to die 
as a mature adult who has not been reached out to by God. That's how much God's working in the world. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell who didn't have the opportunity to hear about him. Now, it may not be that they heard the gospel. It may well be that they just looked at nature and thought, wow, this is an incredible place. But it may well be that God sent someone as well to give them an opportunity to hear. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to put your hand up and say, God, I, I, I see the mission. I get the mission. But it's bigger than me and I'm afraid. I'm intimidated. Can you be honest about that? Can you be honest about maybe being apathetic even? I don't really care, God. But yeah, yeah, that's fine. Come to God. Repent of those sins. Because they are really sins in one sense. Because uh, I, I don't think God wants us to look for ourselves. I don't want anyone to feel condemned. No, no, no. That's not what I'm here for. But I'm just here to tell you, hey, you know, if you don't care about your fellow man, you're not doing what God said. God said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. A new commandment I give, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. But what if you don't have the love that you should have for your neighbor? Ask God. He gives lavishly, without fault. He will give you that heart that he has. He's a, he's a loving God, and he will impart that to you. So don't respond like Moses when God invites you to join him. Respond instead like David. Say, God, I want to be a part of your mission. And I, I tell you, it's an amazingly rewarding experience. Joining God gives you a deeper understanding of who he is, and there's a reward. We had a discussion, and I'll finish with this. We were coming in the car, and there's, there's this gentleman who uh, uh, came to a couple of the outreaches, and he said something like, well, you know, the one thing I don't understand about God is how, you know, how if someone like Hitler repented before he died, how he would still get to heaven. And, of course, we know that God is a God of grace. He forgave the thug that was crucified next to him, Jesus did. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And some of us think, well, how can that be right? How can, if Mugabe on his deathbed recants, uh, repents of what he's done, is that right? Why? Well, I, I would suggest that God has grace for everybody. Yeah? God does. And we are not really to judge that. Having said that, God is a rewarder. And he won't reward someone like Mugabe if he repents on his deathbed. The same as he rewards Paul, the apostle. I mean, come on. (laughs) Paul, the apostle, was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He wrote pretty much most of the New Testament. There's no ways God is going to reward Mugabe if he repents on his deathbed with the way he rewards someone like Paul. So they're rewards. You get through to heaven because heaven is a gift. It is not a reward. It is because God is good and full of grace and mercy that he gives you the opportunity to be forgiven, to get into heaven, to be with him forever. But, but, we all get rewarded according to our works. We can't earn our way into heaven by our good works. Don't get me wrong. But, trust me, according to your faithfulness with what God has given you, that's how he'll reward you. According to the book of, uh, the parable rather, of the talents. God doesn't reward you according to your station in life. Just because you're a celebrity or right up there, president, whatever, that's not how God rewards. He rewards on faithfulness. If you're faithful with a little, he'll bless you with much. If you're faithful with a lot, he'll bless you with much. So be faithful with the little that God's given you and he'll give you more. That's just a biblical principle. So understand, God is at work. God wants you to join him. He wants you involved. And uh, he does reward. So... There is something at stake for you. I'd much rather be in heaven, given responsibility for a lot of things, and hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, than, hey, Henry, it's good to see you here. You just got through by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> Amen? Right, let's, uh, let's close, and uh, let's just ask God to uh, give us his heart, if you will. Uh, before we do that, by the way, I, you know, this is just an appeal to anyone who doesn't know this God. If you... <laughs> 
If you're here for the first time or you've uh, just arrived thinking, hmm, I've heard this a longer guy uh, speaking a couple of times, I'll come to church again. Um, I want to challenge you today that you, you get right with God. You know, the Bible, and I haven't touched on this too much today because that wasn't the message, but the Bible talks about God as a judge as well. And that there's a day coming when he's going to judge the, the earth. He's going to resurrect everyone who's ever died. And all who are alive when he returns will be brought before him. And he will judge them according to how they've lived. And uh, there's one uh, form of judgment which is to determine whether your name is in the book of life, whether you inherit eternal life. But there's another f- form of judgment which determines uh, your rewards. And uh, if you haven't even got to the place where you know your name's in the book of life, I want to challenge you today that you don't leave this place without doing something about it. There's a place called hell that God's created for the devil and his angels. He didn't create it for human beings. But if you reject God's way out through his man, Jesus Christ, you are damned and you're going to go to that place. It's a place the Bible describes as a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, it's a place where there, I mean, there's tremendous sorrow there. There's tremendous regret. Uh, you will feel physical agony and pain. And God doesn't want you to go there. Uh, and the reason he sends people there is because he's just and he must punish sin because he's a holy God. But hallelujah, he's given us a way out. And all you have to do is believe in his son, Jesus Christ, uh, seek his forgiveness and repentance, and he will, he will, will forgive you and receive you. He doesn't have favorites. So that's you. Uh, let's pray this little quick prayer for you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that I have fallen short of your perfect standard. And I pray, O oh God, that you come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and give me a new start. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And give me a new life in his name. Amen. So if that was you and you've made that decision for the first time, please let someone know. In particular, of course, let uh, Dave the pastor know and uh, speak to him uh, directly. You you can do it in private if you feel embarrassed about coming up to the front. But please let him know that you've made that decision. It's the most important decision you can ever make. And it means that you have transferred from death to life, from darkness to light, from a kingdom which was basically the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's kingdom, and you're now his child and he's your father. I know it sounds so simple, but that's actually what's happened. So keep coming here, get a Bible, read it if you don't have a Bible, learn to pray, which means just speaking to God. Now finally, if I may just pray for the people who are believers, who are members of this church. If we could just bow our heads, and I'll just pray for an impartation of God's spirit. Father, I just pray for this fellowship. I thank you for the hearts of the people here. and. Uh, I just pray, my Lord, that you just give them yours. Um, Give them a vision that uh, uh, will allow them and enable them to go into this local community and change it for Jesus. May they continue to do the good that they've done here. We thank you for this weekend. We thank you that you're already at work here in that way, reaching out to the people of this village. I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to open doors, find them faithful, continue to minister into the hearts of those who feel that they're not equipped. Uh, Send your Holy Spirit to... uh, Indwell every single believer here, Lord God. Speak to them. Uh, Lord, convict them. Lord, uh, energize them. Lord, give them your passion for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. That is my time up. I think I've gone.